Hi, this is Julia, and uh, welcome to episode two of Aquarian Times. So today, I wanted to talk about how I moved into the non-physical yogas. All right, so again, I I have been a yoga teacher since 2012, um, and a practitioner of yoga since 1999. And, uh, so really that, uh, time period, time period spans, that was a good, uh, word play. Anyway, uh, that time period spans, um, kind of when yoga blossomed in the West, right? When yoga, the first wave, I would say of, um, and I'm not talking about the first wave of yoga teachers in the West because that of course happened, um, yeah, I'm not sure when Paramahansa Yogananda arrived, I can't remember what year that was, but, uh, you know, it it started happening in the 1900s, but um, what I'm talking about is when the yoga scene really started to explode, and that really happened, um, you know, in the early 2000s, so um, when when the yoga industry became, um, kind of went off the charts, Right. So, uh, you know, some of those early famous teachers, uh, if you're familiar, uh, were, for instance, T.S. Little, um, Anna Forrest, trying to think off the top of my head, um, Sean Korn, Shiva Ray, who else is in there? Um, well, yeah, I'll see if I can think of any more at the moment. But those were kind of the first wave of the, you know, kind of yoga superstars um, in the West, right? And uh, given my birth date and time uh, back in, you know, 1978, by the time I was in my early 20s, uh, you know, around the 2000s, again, is when I was actually able to be a student of those teachers. So, you know, um, it's kind of a particular moment in time, right? So that, of course, we know that that was when yoga asana really gained popularity. And of course, these teachers were always interested in more, you know, i I can probably speak for them than just the asana and many of them were doing teacher trainings and you know that always includes the philosophy um different aspects of yoga the breath work um the yamas the niyamas you know the the ethics um the code of conduct um as it were and uh so um but this is when you know, yoga was hitting the studios, it was hitting the gyms, the yoga studios were popping up like crazy. Um, and we had people gathering in classrooms. Uh, you know, it was when Bikram classes were on the rise. Uh, and classes, you know, I was living actually a few different places, but um, I was living in the Bay Area. Um, and also New Mexico uh, during these time periods. And um yeah, it was really exciting to be in, in a kind of urban area with the yoga boom, 
because it was a cool way to come together with people and you know in my early 20s when of course that's a time when a lot of people are you know experimenting with you know drugs and alcohol and club scenes and different things like that you know um it was an alternative clearly to that scene and you know a place to come together to get raw to get real with other people um in a room um and it was exciting it was an exciting time so uh so yes i was a student at humboldt state university uh back in 1999 and that is where i took my first yoga class so um what that looked like was i signed up for uh a pe elective right and um i was also a a dance minor in college so i was a i was doing modern dance primarily and it was kind of like adjunct to my modern dance studies and i i think i just needed a a pe elective and i signed up for for yoga and i didn't know much about it and again i was 21 years old so I do remember I walked into the gym. It was a, it was ha- it was a class held in the gym at Humboldt State, and I remember my first teacher. Um, and it was an Iyengar class. So, you know, this was Iyengar. Well, you know, there's a lot of different uh, strains of yoga, um, and Iyengar is of course you know, where the poses kind of stand alone, um, and we use props, and it's definitely more meditative, more, um, you know, you hold poses longer, um, and so it's sort of more of a, I would say, you know, not to be on a scale of, you know, on judgment or anything, but I would say a little bit for a more mature practitioner, because you have to, really face yourself you have to be still and you know the idea that quote-unquote yoga is boring that can kind of come from an Iyengar practice because you know there's a lot of instruction there's a lot of you know sitting and the poses are you know not always linked in very um dynamic ways we'll put it that way um and it can involve you know uh, even pain, you know, just holding poses that don't, you're kind of maybe a little resistant to. And uh, yeah, so I do remember taking that class. My teacher was a very, you know, a f- sort of like a little fairy, uh, a small framed, very uh, quiet, soothing voice. Um, and my sharpest memory from that time, that class is coming into a bridge pose and like taking my first deep breath in years. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? What is going on? And wow, I feel different. And I, you know, it was, it was definitely a moment that took me, um, you know, intrigued me, made me want to come back for more. So during that same time frame, uh, I, there was another teacher, uh, in my er in the area where I was going to school who was teaching Ashtanga classes. 
So again, we're talking about, if you're familiar, the Krishnamacharya lineage, right? So Krishnamacharya was a yogi in the 19th century uh, who uh, had three main, you know, his three main protégés were Iyengar, uh, Patabi Joyce, who created the, or made popular the Ashtanga series, and his son, DKS, um, or sorry, TKS Desikachar, who made Vini Yoga popular. So that's the Krishnamacharya lineage, and that, you know, went on to yoga works, uh, blossomed out of that. Um, so a lot of our Western yoga came from that lineage, very, you know, acrobatic, um, actually, because of the Ashtanga series also, um, Iyengar was definitely an acrobat. Um, he could do some serious, he was very bendy, could do some serious poses. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I was sort of right from the induction of my journey there. I was, it was clear I was moving, I was kind of introduced into the Krishnamacharya lineage. So that it really is the lineage of yoga that I, uh, come from, I guess you would say. And, uh, yeah, so I took a, an Ashtanga class, um, at the local gym and that was off hours. That was, I mean, it was like in the evening, I believe I remember. And it was, you know, not a part of university class. It was on my own time and it was, you know, more adults, like older, older people, not just students, not just college students, but you know, people, locals at the gym, and it was a packed class, it was a sweaty class, it was a, there was a very devotional aspect to this class. I mean, it was, it was definitely a rite of passage, you know, looking around the, the, the you know, uh, windows were fogged up by the moisture, uh, people sweating and um, doing this very aerobic, you know, um, vinyasa practice, intermixed with these, um, advanced seated and standing postures. And wow. Um, I, that was another moment for me. It was like, what is this? How, what's going on in this room? And this is, this is pretty fascinating and pretty amazing. And, and I, and I, I loved it. So that became, uh, the beginning of my yoga journey back in 1999. And, uh, so fast forward, I, let's see, I moved, I moved back to the Bay area eventually, um, after college and I wasn't really, I guess I, I was too young really to understand more about yoga than the asana, you know, it was like, give me the asana. (laughs) And again, I was a, I was a, um, you know, athletic. I was a runner. I was a dancer, um, you know, type of, type of person. So I was drawn to the physical practice and what I ended up, I get, ended up getting involved with, uh, some Bikram yoga. Now that is a interesting stop on the yoga bus, uh, yoga tour, uh, bus for anyone. Um, some people begin there, some people hate to say get stuck there um because you know you can people can get a little bit um 
I guess I would say militant about Bikram, you know, and just think that's all there is to yoga or it's so intense that, you know, they go to a, in a younger class and they're like not impressed, you know, <laughs> which is kind of a little bit of an oxymoron because, right, I mean, ultimately we are working with our mind in yoga, we're working with our ego, right? I mean, really, ultimately, that's actually what the practice is for is to sort of corner our ego, <laughs> you know, get to know it um, and start to see how it thinks, how it ticks, how it, um, what it wants, what it prefers and try to, you know, find a way out of that um, sort of lock hold um, of what, what the ego, the ego's patterns, right? So I'll get into that a little bit later here. Um, yeah, so I got into Bikram yoga and again, being, again, I was a gymnast as a kid. I was a dancer. I really loved the Bikram classes. They were, they just can give you something nothing else can. The detoxification, the intensity, um, and, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it's like the practice um, I guess in a way it's like all taken care of for you, right? Like you just show up and you do what they say and you don't have to think for yourself. And then you, you, you get out of there, you complete this thing and take a shower and go home. Uh, but what I realized, and again, people have their own experiences and preferences and I'm not to say when to say what is better or worse or anything, but what I found for me was I had a moment in my Bikram, a Bikram class when I realized I was really in like, like high intensity. I was in such a high intensity mode that I thought to myself, I'm training to be in this mode. Like this probably isn't too good for me to be in such an intense mode, you know? like, um, to get used to that and to, to, to train my body that that was normal, you know, to have to work that hard, to have to, you know, I was going to say compete. I mean, I guess there's definitely a competitive aspect. Um, but you know, when you are working that hard, there's a, there's just inherently a, a competitive element because you are competing against yourself, I guess, if no one else. Um, and that's really maybe not ultimately (laughs) what, the whole practice is about. So, yes. So that went on for, I don't know how long, maybe a couple of years. And then, um, I guess I, I, what happened? I moved again. So, um, I found myself, um, moving to New Mexico and in my mid to late twenties. So I guess I was, I was 26 and um drove to to Santa Fe actually um to live at a Zen meditation center where I lived I ended up living there for three years and although uh again not specifically um part of the quote unquote yogic lineage there was the opportunity for me to immerse myself in meditation. So, and again, it was Zen meditation. 
um, which is, uh, you know, that the classic Zen <laughs> meditation is, is actually to, well, and is to turn around and just stare at a wall. <laughs> I know it. I mean, this is, this is actually, this is actually how it's done. Um, you know, sit just staring at a wall <laughs> and for, we would go for 40 minutes, um, and, or up to an hour and then take a break and, you know, in longer, uh, meditation, um, uh, retreats called sessions, we would do this, um, for up to eight days, right. For many hours a day. <laughs> and, um, so obviously this was part of my yoga, yoga training. And again, I was young. I, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't seek it out. Um, like, oh, I want more yoga training. I just kind of ended up there a little bit. Um, but the cool thing about it was we were, we were hosting, um, a lot of different contemporary teachers, not just Zen teachers, not just Buddhist teachers, but, um, yoga teachers too. So as it happened, um, you know, T.S. Little lived not too far from, T.S. Little, the yoga teacher, lived not too far from this, from where I lived at Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, he did his trainings at our facility. So three or four times a year, um, he would bring his students from his students were come from all over. I mean, we're talking internationally um, to live and train for a week at a time or so at our Zen center. And uh, I was, you know, working in the kitchen, cooking for them, um, and you know, just watching them come together and experiencing that whole culture of all these yogis from you know, all over, you know, who'd like driven or, um, you know, flown in to Santa Fe to study with Tias and it was a big deal. And uh, this went on, I lived there for three years. This went on for the whole three years. I, I was there as far as I remember, I, I believe. And, um, you know, I was exposed to the Dharma talks, um, and he would give Dharma talks sometimes. And Richard Freeman was another teacher who came and did workshops. And I, attended his workshop. Um, he's from Boulder, Colorado, was Ashtangi, uh, pretty hardcore Ashtanga uh, teacher, practitioner. So it was a an immersion, um, a three-year immersion for me of not, well, also living a monastic life, right? Um, that's obviously part of the lineage of the yogi is to live in an ashram, right? And to live in sort of isolation or from culture, from mainstream culture and to do spiritual practice. And that's called, spiritual practice is called tapas, right? That the heat of the practice burns away the, the karmas, right? It's called tapas, heat. Um, that come, the heat from the doing this arduent uh, spiritual practice. So that was... Um, yeah, a, a part of my journey at that time. And so let's see, I fast forward again. <laughs> um, after leaving the Zen Center, 
Uh, and again, I took some some classes in in town, but I actually wasn't really interested in the yoga asana so much. And because I wasn't practicing regularly, it wasn't enjoyable. You know, I actually didn't at that time. I wasn't really liking asana. I didn't find it to be soothing or comfortable. You know, like a lot of people feel about yoga. It's like, oh, this hurts. You know, why? Why would anybody do this? Um, of course, it only doesn't hurt when you do it regularly for a long enough amount of time, where you know you're flexible enough, and it doesn't. It doesn't really hurt anymore. So, anyway, um, physically, yeah. So I left the Zen Center um, in this was 2008, end of 2008, and so. Within the next couple years, I was back in the Bay Area, and and I was a bit lost, <laughs> and I had some stuff going on that was really challenging in my life, and I was in need of a some something serious to help, you know, push me forward, uh, turn things around for me at the time, and what that looked like was. Uh, Actually, I started going back to the Bikram studio, and it was kind of a, I guess I would say slap in the face. Um, it was, I, I mean, I think I almost fainted. I, I had to leave the room. I don't know. I just wasn't used to it anymore, and it was it was pretty intense. And so, but what happened was at the Bikram studio I was going to, um, the the owner's wife, I guess at the time, um, had gotten into power yoga. So if you remember the genesis of power yoga, and we're talking the year 2010. And if you remember the genesis of power yoga, uh, that was Baron Baptiste. Um, and what that was, what, what power yoga really was, obviously that's a, um, you know, an adaptation right? There was no power yoga in uh, India, right? That That's an American adaptation. And what it was is an American ad- adaptation of the Ashtanga practice. And so what that looked like was power yoga classes were, like Bikram classes, usually heated, although not to um, as high degrees. So I think we're talking like 95 <laughs> degrees, and it was a vinyasa practice. So, you know, we're talking, um, doing, you know, chaturanga or the push-up, moving into up dog, down dog. This is very, you know, com- the common, commonly known yoga in, in the West. And again, things have changed since then. There's a, a lot of different types of yoga have risen to the fore, but that, that, you know, that was the most popular back then, back in 2010 was that kind of yoga. And, you know, Yoga Works was doing it and everybody was doing it. And so, again, the power yoga classes just were a little different because they were intense. They were very aerobic. They were 90-minute classes. They were heated. And you basically didn't really stop (laughs) the whole class moving. And um, so I decided that I was going to get one of those, like, 30 days for $30 uh, passes to the studio. And I kind of fell in love with it. It was so intense, so sort of transformative, right? Just showing up every day, sweating it out, 
um, and, you know, your body starts to change, your mind gets clearer, um, and it's something that you can kind of hold on to, right, in life. It's like part of this, this part of your day where you can just lay it all down, like kind of give it up, you know, and um, give it up, you know, to a higher power, whatever, uh, and you just do your devotional practice, and uh, and then you do it again the next day, and you keep going back, and it's it's like a lifeline, right? So I think a lot of people feel that way about going to class when they're, you know, again, I'm speaking specifically in like an urban area, and we're talking pre-2020, uh, where you could go to class every day, and it's part of your routine. You go before work, you go after work, you go whenever, you know, but it's like part of your your day, you know, your week, your month. And you have a membership to the studio and, you know, that's how it looks. So I think many people are familiar with that. Um, so what happened was I got really into it and I couldn't afford the classes after that 30-day intro. And I asked the teacher if I could clean the studio in exchange for classes. And she agreed. So for the next year, I would show up once a week, and I'd mop those floors, I'd w- wash those windows, and I would get free classes, uh, you know, as many as I could get to, and I would go five to seven days a week, so it was a big part of my life, and, you know, I guess, I guess a year into it or so, something like that, uh, my teachers started to, um, you know, ask me when I was going to do a teacher training, and I was a little blown away, like, me? <laughs> it wasn't really, like, a part of my plan, but then it was like, well, this is kind of the thing for me. I mean, this is what's working for me, so, oh my god, wow, maybe I'll do that. And I was uh, suggested, one of my teachers was a Yoga Works graduate, suggested that program, and it was, you know, right there in my backyard and in... um living in uh, Marin County at the time, in San Rafael. And I, and again, I'm from West Marin, so um, that area, but I, um, yeah, so I, I decided to take a six-month training, 200-hour teacher training at Yoga Works in Mill Valley. And it was, it was one of the best decisions I ever made, so... Um, of course, you, when you get to be a train, you know, into a training, then you do start to, you know, uh, unpack the other layers of the practice and start learning the sutras and start learning the yoga philosophy. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I just loved every minute of it. And um, it was really inspiring. I felt really engaged. I love the Sanskrit. I love learning the Sanskrit terms for things we didn't have. We don't have words for in English, which were all about mental states and transformation. And um, it was like, you know, just finally a word for my experience, the experiences I was having. I, you know, there was an actual word for it. And uh, so that was exciting. And um, yeah, so, you know, that catapulted me across the threshold to becoming a teacher. And that's what I did. 
And right away, I graduated in 2012, I started teaching house classes and some private sessions. And, and then I, I ended up moving um, to a more rural area, uh, north of the Bay Area, and I, I started teaching um, in studios. And basically worked up a schedule that I was subbing all the time. Um, just to get more experience and to get to know the area and to get to know the people and the teachers. And I started subbing, um, I was teaching up to 10 classes a week. Um, and that was, it was exciting. It was really fun. And about two years into that experience, uh, well, you know, uh, this, the seasonal, um, <laughs> life, uh, you know, changes, um, come. And I basically, um, some, you know, was going through uh, something and I had to start cutting back on teaching so much, not to mention I wasn't really equipped, um, with my, uh, I didn't have a, a, a handle, I guess I'll say on my nutrition, um, being this, having such an active lifestyle and, you know, um, I ended up really kind of, um, uh, dashing my adrenals, right. Uh, trashing, I guess I would say, um, my adrenals because I wasn't properly fueling myself. I didn't really even totally understand what that meant, um, for me and my system crashed in multiple ways and I had to scale back. So, at, towards the end of that period, um, I also started, uh, I took over restorative yoga class and I really started loving that style. And I did a training in restorative yoga, which is um, when you use props to prop the body into yoga poses. And it's really a passive yoga where you lay over the props and you breathe four or five to 10, 15 minutes <clears throat> at a time change poses and, uh, you know, music playing and it's very meditative, very relaxing and basically for the nervous system. So that, that sort of became what rose to the top of my offerings, you know, so I went from being, you know, teaching multiple classes a day, hot classes, hot yoga, yoga classes, very athletic kind of draining classes to, realizing that I couldn't sustain that. And of course I was aging, um, myself was getting toward my, my mid thirties or yeah, mid, mid to later thirties. And it just wasn't sustainable anymore. So, Hey, that, that was a, just, that was like the background of where I was going to go in this podcast. So, um, I might have to, I might have to kind of continue this in another podcast. Cause I don't know how long I want to go here, but Um, in any case, that was, that was my introduction into, into yoga, into the physical yoga. And, uh, so yeah, I think that's what I will do. I think I'm going to kind of leave it there. And then the next podcast, I'm going to go into the next chapter, I, I would say is when, you know, when I could no longer do the physical yoga, like I did, like a spry, you know, (laughs) young yogi what then um 
opened, what worlds opened up to me then, which was the non-physical yogas and the, again, the invisible um, parts of the practice, as well as really um, coming into my own in my home practice. So you can look forward to that next week. I'm going to talk about uh, how I developed my home practice and how I uh, learned, I got into the non-physical aspects of yoga and into Ayurveda to heal my body and get on track with my nutrition. So yay, I hope that was was a helpful little dive. And again, excuse me, again, this is... Uh, this podcast is called Aquarian Times, um, and I just want to, the relevance here is, you know, going from a physical reality to an etheric reality, and hello Aquarius, hello Aquarian Times, hello Age of Aquarius, that's, you know, kind of what the shift is, if you haven't noticed, and I want to talk about more of that too, but um, in the next installment, But, you know, I just want to kind of match this up with the times, uh, make it relevant, and how we are shifting, we are morphing um, as beings, and, uh, you know, becoming more etheric, uh, you know, with uh, more focus on, you know, the mind or aspects of the energetic body as we, you know, move into this new age, which is, capitalizes, I guess, on that Um, strength, that dimension. And uh, yeah, so I want to talk about how that, you know, the things that I have learned and studied have (laughs) been very, very relevant for navigating um, this shift and uh, how I feel sort of an advantage to have kind of fallen through that trap door into the invisible learning more about the invisible realms um because they it's not a sideshow you know it's really it's really the um the blueprint the backdrop for the physical and if if you don't know that yet uh well we're going to talk about it more so stay tuned and um yeah so if you want to learn more about me and my work um you can check out my website at www.juliabernbaum.com. There's a link. There should be a link on the podcast page, J-U-L-I-A-B-E-R-N-B-A-U-M.com. And I look forward to continuing this topic, this conversation next week. And have a gorgeous week. Happy, happy equinox. And uh, enjoy the, the coming, the, the crisp fall. All right. Take good care of yourself. Bye-bye.